Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to the final episode of the 2018 season here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. I wanted to take a second to thank each and every one of you who listen to the show regularly, follow us on social media, and are out there spreading the word of this show. Now, the podcast launched early September, and the last four months have been extremely exciting for us. There's been a lot of lessons learned, a lot of long hours trying to put together a good show for you, and some amazing relationships have been developed in between. Now, I encourage each and every one of you to send us a message with your feedback. A lot of this season's guests were recommendations of followers from social media and friends in the horse industry. After all, this is your show, and we want to put on guests that provide value to your lives. 2019 is shaping up to be a pretty exciting year for us. We have plans of going out on the road, teaching at seminars, and furthering our education as well. Now, our guest this week is Cody Custer. Cody is a Hall of Fame bull rider and was a founding member of the PBR. In this episode, Cody explains a lot of his approach to longevity and preparation for a successful rodeo season. A lot of the life lessons discussed use bull riding as an analogy, but the theories and approach are applicable to all avenues of life, no matter your discipline, career, or competition. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Cody Custer. Cody, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jason. How are you today? Good, good, good. Before we get too deep in anything, I just want to thank you very much for making time, especially in light of this holiday season with everything going on between families and stuff like that. We very much appreciate you setting a little bit of time aside to share with people today. You betcha. That's about how my life goes. There's always something happening. Yeah, I was going to say, usually the books are always full, right? Yes, sir. You're just coming off a, a trip to the NFR a couple weeks back. you want to explain a little bit about how that trip went, what you had going on out there? Well, I just the main reason I went out there, my cousin Tatum owns Trace Rio Silver, and I started selling for them. And so I just went out there and hung out, spent spent time at the booth and just kind of understanding their their language, you know. Um, my dad was a buckle maker, so I know buckles pretty well, but actually that's how that's how Brett got his start in the in the uh silversmithing business so anyway so i just i went out there to spend some time with him and and in in the middle of it i got to see a lot of a lot of old friends and make some new friends and, and i was there for 14 days which is about 12 days too long to be in vegas but i was gonna say that is definitely a two-night town yeah exactly but no it, it was good we i i just i just saw a lot of people and got to experience going to the rodeo a couple of times and that was that was exciting and always fun to go sit and watch the rodeo. Yeah, I was going to say my first couple times out there is exciting for the, the mystique of the rodeo, right? You know, the NFR and everything that comes along with it. But as the years went on, it was something you look forward to, to get, get together with all the buddies and friends and family from all across the country. You know, it's kind of the one time everybody can get together and, and hang out in one common spot. Because like you said, the rest of the year, everybody's schedules are so darn busy, it's hard to even answer a phone call sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it's no telling who you're going to see out there in Vegas. It's, you know, old friends like Butch Small and guys like that that you don't see on a regular basis that you get to Brad Germanson, guys like that you get get to hang out with and spend a little time, find out what's going on in their lives. It's pretty pretty exciting, pretty fun. 
Yeah, it's a great experience, most definitely. Now, we know you have quite the resume in bull riding. If you don't mind, for the guests that don't know or don't follow the bull riding side of it, if you don't mind going into a little bit of your history, your upbringing, how you kind of pave your path through rodeo. Sure. Well, I I just uh, I was born into uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a, was a rancher, and so I grew up on the ranch and just south of the Grand Canyon, and spent a lot of time just doing brandings and you know just just cowboy type stuff. But I was a little kid at the time. I went on my first roundup when I was four, uh, four years old. Been riding horses from from the very beginning, and and just always been around the cowboy lifestyle. And so with that. Once my grandfather left the ranch there, we, uh, my dad and him, or my grandparents and my parents went in partners on an uh, overnight campground in Flagstaff, Arizona. We built an arena there. And so all through the summer, we had, we had rope and we had rodeo on the weekend. So we had, a, we had a set of bucking shoots and we had 35 head of steers. And so they were just not, not just roping steers. They doubled as bucking steers and and I wore those steers out. I think that that little time, that that little span of the uh, three years that we lived there, I bet I got on like twenty five hundred headed. Oh, geez, just Coriani roping steers, and so really, that's where I developed my my ability to ride. So you got your start there early in Arizona. Uh, you went pro in eighty five. Um, yeah, that was my rookie year. I got I got my permit in nineteen eighty three, and uh, I was still in high school at the time when I got my permit and so we got to go to some rodeos but it wasn't it wasn't really full time and then I went to one semester of college and figured out I knew everything I really needed to know in in regards to college yeah. <laughs> and and decided that uh you know and honestly I just I, I wasn't there for the right reasons I was there because I got a little small scholarship and thought I was gonna go rodeo and you know it just it, it, I didn't really have my mind on on getting an education I was always Wanting to be a bull rider, want want rodeo. I, actually, at that time, at that time in my life, I really kind of wanted to be a bareback rider. And I rode all three rough stock and and team roped. And so, in 1985, at the well, at the end of the semester in '84, I just told my dad, I, said, I don't think I'm going to go back. He loaned me enough money to buy my PRCA card, and I took off took off rodeo. And I was entering all three riding events at the time. And you know, I well, I filled my permit in the in the bareback riding and the saddle bronc riding. I, wasn't really flourishing in the bull riding, but so about uh, about the middle of April, maybe the end of April, I realized that my my horse riding wasn't really going like I wanted it to, and my bull riding was starting to pay the bills, and so I just I left my saddle and my rigging at home and took off, you know, riding bulls. And I still fiddled with bareback riding and the bronc riding. I made circuit finals three times in the bareback riding and once in the bronc riding, so I could still ride, but I, it just wasn't my wasn't really my passion. My passion became riding bulls, and I once I got got on some real bucking horses, that kind of changed my tune. But I want to be a bareback rider. But uh, anyway, 1985, I teamed up with a guy I met at the high school finals in 1983, named Lewis Barnes, and we we rodeoed back. He was from Kansas, and so we rodeoed in his circuit and just in in this part of the country. He had a old '68 Granada, I think, and didn't have any air conditioning in it, and we we took off living the dream, you know. That year, 1985, I ended up fourth for the rookie of the year. And the other guys that were the rookies that year, or that were rookies in my my class or whatever, were Scott Redding was the was the rookie of the year that year, and then uh, Wade Leslie, who's the guy that got the hundred point ride on Wolfman, was second. A guy named Jeff Crockett 
from Idaho who ended up being, getting killed in 1988 was third. I was fourth, and Clint Bronger was fifth. So, so there was a group of guys that had great talent that that I was in the mix of, and it ended up being it ended up being really good for me to end up fourth. I think because I realized that I realized that I needed to get a little more serious about my just my dedication to the sport or whatever. And so 1986, I moved to Texas. I, I decided that Arizona is probably not the place I was supposed to stay just because of the ability to get on a lot more bulls was in Texas. And so I moved down to Texas and lived with a guy named Tom Wilson and there was jackpots every night of the week. So that's what I did. I went to the jackpots. I went to the jackpots every night that I was home and then ended up, ended up getting hooked up with Glenn McElvain. And so Glenn had been to the NFR and won the average at the NFR, really talented guy. And so that's who I ended up traveling with, started traveling with in 86 and mid, midway through 86. And then I got the chance to travel with Del, Bobby Del Vecchio at the same time. And so I learned a lot of stuff in 1986. In 1986, I ended up probably, probably 18th to 20th. I don't even know where I ended up, but I narrowly missed going to the NFR which in retrospect, looking back at it, is probably a good thing because I probably would have got killed off at the finals. But an interesting thing happened. I got to go out to the, the NFR and watch in 1986. And, and I sat in the stands and I, I watched guys on the dirt that I felt like I rode better than. And it put me in a place where I was really determined that I was going to make the national finals the next year, which, which is what happened. I made the NFR for my first time in 1987. And so... I think you you look back at look back at things that kind of develop and kind of put you in a, in a, the right mind mindset and and so that was one of those things that I just I set up in those stands and I realized that I was good enough to be there but I was sitting in the stands and that that wasn't where I wanted to be so it turned out to be a really good trip going out to the NFR and it helped me the next year when I you know when it came down to it I anyway I, I was at the national finals in, in 1987 so pretty exciting deal and I mean it's just stuff I think about that are that's kind of little tidbits of monumental things in my life and that's one of them so yeah and thinking back obviously a lot we talk a lot about perspective on this show and how small changes in perspective can have huge impacts on your outcome now you talk about you know finishing fourth in the country that first year realizing that you need to do maybe step up your game a little bit as far as the dedication and discipline goes you go to the finals there in 86 consider that you're a good learning year and in watching those finals, you kind of have that realization that, hey, man, I do belong. Yeah. So what did you change between 86 and 87 as far as maybe your day-to-day operations or the mentality you took toward, towards your season? You know, I, to be honest with you, I can't really, can't really tell you exactly what that is because I don't, I don't know that I really changed a whole lot. I had an injury in 86 where my shoulder would dislocate, and it, it came out a couple of times in 1986. Well, 87 – rolls around and I I'm doing pretty good in the winter at the winter rodeos and I ride this bull at Phoenix and I, I really kind of made a bad mistake on my choice of when to get off or where to get off and and uh it slammed me down and dislocated that shoulder and it was my it was my pre-arm shoulder and so I ended up at that point I was mid the middle of March by the middle of March I had close to eight thousand dollars won and I was in the standings and I really had to take a look just kind of step back and take a look at it. At the time, it, uh, the doctor was not not uh, Candy Freeman; it was J. Pat Evans. And so I went down and talked to J. Pat, and he just said, "He said it's going to keep coming out on you. you. You need to just get it fixed." So, so I ended up getting my shoulder fixed, 
and set the set out until the second week of June, and I started back rodeoing that year. And so, anyway, it was it was not a bad thing for me because I got to sit, I got to get in the gym and really get to working out and and really think about what I was doing. And so when I when I came back in in June of 1987, I just I just rodeoed really hard, and I I think I was rodeoing by myself at the time, and I just entered everything I could enter. And, Sometimes I'd overlap and enter two rodeos over the same day and just go where I had the best bull. And it all came down to the end of the year. I, I ended up 15th. <laughs> so I was better than 16th. I was going to say 15th gets you an invite, so it don't matter, does it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It was, a, it was a little bit of a down there at the end of the year. There were some guys at the bottom that were Bobby Delvecchio and guys that I looked up to that were that were that could ride. And they were all down at the bottom there too, so it's kind of a little dogfight at the end. And I think part of that, part of that mental side of my my riding, really elevated at that point because I was either going to make the national finals and, or I was going to fail. I was, you know, I was going to succeed or fail. And so my my mindset was not to try to look, pay attention to other guys. My mindset was to really pay attention to me and not focus on what those other guys were doing, which. The, the mind games and all that stuff that guys can play on you stuff. I, there was guys that were telling me how much money they had won and it was, they would inflate the amount they had and, and all that stuff. And it just, I, I just kept my mouth shut, took care of business. And, and fortunately for me, it, it worked out. I'm, I made the finals that year and that was the year Lane, Lane was the world champ that year. So I got to watch that whole scenario break down too while I was out there at the finals. My, my performance at the finals wasn't that great. I rode four out of four out of the 10 and you know, which, you know, looking back, I kind of, I kind of dropped the ball on a couple of those bulls, but I was overmatched on a few of them too. So it, it was a, it was a good learning experience. Absolutely. And I think one thing I try to stay focused on myself and I try to teach a lot of people, it goes back to that adage you talk about not getting distracted and having the discipline. I just try to remember, you know, run your own race, right? Don't get caught up in all the hype of everything right. else because there are so many influential factors, no matter what it is, personally, professionally, whether it's bull riding, you know, riding horses, horsemanship, stuff like that. There's so many distractions out there, and, and all of that effort that you put towards those distractions is effort wasted that you could be yeah. using to work on yourself. At every at every turn, there's a distraction if you let it be, and and that's where that's where the you know my son Brett is is 20 years old. He ended up 38th in the PRCA this past year, and he's got a good start on the new year. He's in the top 15 for 2019. And, and that's what I keep, I keep really continuing to talk to him about the mental part of it, that everything can be a distraction if you allow it to be, but, but you got to get focused on what you're doing and why you're doing it and, and where you're headed. Because, you know, you see the guys, that, the guys that are great, the guys that have the, you know, ha- have all the success are the guys that can put the distractions aside because you can have it, anything can be a distraction from, you know, the parties that go on at the rodeos and the, the good looking girls and all that stuff to the, the weather. It can, everything can be a factor in a distraction. And so you gotta, you gotta compartmentalize your mind. To, yeah, absolutely. When it comes time to ride bulls, you know, when it comes time to do your thing, whatever that might be, you gotta, you gotta remember where you came from and how you're, you know, how you trained to get to this point. And, and so I think the guys that can put the distractions out of their head are the ones that are going to have the best success. Absolutely. Now, we talked a little bit off air, and, and you were saying you're at the point in your career, you know, where you're trying to trying to give back and 
teach a little bit to these kids that are up and coming. I know you teach a whole slew of clinics throughout the year. What are kind of some of your general approaches that you you try to lay on people, especially some of these younger riders? Well, first of all, every everybody that wants to be a bull rider knows they know a lot about what they see, but they don't know a lot about the the foundation stuff and the stuff that will develop you into into being great. And so, I when I start my you know, when I start my clinics, I, I really start on a foundation that I think every person that rides bulls has to stick to. There, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area in riding bulls because you never know what's going to happen. But there's some there's some things in there that you can't you can't compromise. And really, that's that's your posture and and riding riding towards the front of the bull. I see so many guys that their first move out of the chute is away from the bull, and it can't be. You've got to be riding to the bull. And so I, I don't really try to change anybody's actual style. Um, maybe maybe a little bit of uh, free arm placement or where you know where they hold their free arm. But but really, if I can get their core to doing what what their core is supposed to do, then everything they already have naturally or they know about bull riding will come will be an advantage to them but but if they're not if they're not getting their core where it's supposed to be the core of their body everything they know can work against them and so i'm really i'm pretty simple in my in my teaching i think you can get a little bit i think you can get so deep into it that you can really turn it around make it be you know uh, work against the guy yeah things start getting real overwhelming yeah i mean it's simplicity is really the best and and bull riding is the simplest the simplest event in in all of rodeo there's less things that you have to to do to have success. It, it, as far as you know, you, there's less things that that are involved in it. It's just ride the front of the bull and and wait on him to do his thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you, you start breaking down calf roping and team roping and bronc riding and all that stuff, there's there's so much more to it than bull riding. So bull riding is really the probably the simplest. I didn't say easy, but I was going to say, it's very, very simple in theory, maybe, yeah. but uh, the execution yeah. side of it could be a little different. <laughs> right. And you, yeah, when you put the execution to it, it's, it's a different thing. But, but really, the, the foundation stuff is really, really simple. And so what I try to do is make those guys understand that it's simple. It's not, it's not a complicated thing. You don't have to make a bunch of, bunch of moves. It's one move, really. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if you can master that one move is staying down, and and to the front, then then everything that you have naturally is going to help you. It's all going to work out, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's. I mean, I I love the sport so much that that's what I do. I talk to guys. I mean, I'm always talking bull riding. I'm always always trying to help guys. And you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of younger guys think the older guys are jealous of them or or against them or you know talking smack about them or whatever. And so that's why. I, I I really never try to do that. If if I I'm gonna be honest with somebody, if I see a guy not put out any effort, I'm gonna tell him. Yeah. But I'm not. It's not. It's not my generation against their generation. My generation was a great generation. This generation's a great generation. The the difference is is the bull power. The kids today, from 12 years old to to the professional guys, they deal they deal with something that my generation didn't deal with. That's bull power, and that's well, we we didn't deal with a lot of popularity because there there wasn't cameras in your face and all that stuff. So, so it's, it's a little bit of a different, but a different world that these guys live in. And so what I've done is I've really tried to watch and see what I can do to help these guys because it, it, and it always goes back to the training, how you train is, is really how you're going to perform at the, at the end of the day. And so I, 
<clears throat> my generation of guys, there wasn't bulls that could jump over a house every, every on every corner. And today, that's what that's what we have because of the genetic engineering of these animals. There, there's so many ranked bulls that these guys get on before they're really in a place to be ready for a bull of that caliber. And so a lot of guys kind of get, you know, they get left by the side of the road because they, they pretty much get their egg, you know, cracked in. And then, they're, then their heart's not in it like it should be. And so I, I'm always talking to these guys, when you train, get on, some, get on some easy bulls where you can slow things down. You can you can really work on the things you need to work on without having to put out every bit of effort to stay on one that, that's a 22-pointer. Yeah, no, and I think, I think a lot about, I use a baseball analogy, obviously, because I grew up playing a lot of baseball. The first time you see a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, it's a little overwhelming. You start seeing them every day, right? right? And you start to get used to it, and then... You want to hit a home run per se. You don't go out and practice hitting home runs, right? You got to slow things down right. and you get in the cage and you work on hand-eye coordination and core and all the little itty-bitty things that add up to getting into the box against somebody throwing 95 plus and being able to, to really dig in on one, you know? Yeah. Well, it goes back to it goes back to when you're training in, in, in baseball. When you're at batting practice, you slow down, you back up a little bit so that your hand-eye coordination is, is going to be intact and and if you're trying if you're trying to hit a 95 mile an hour ball every time you might get that down but or you might get where you can hit one every once in a while but your hand-eye coordination is not going to be like it should be and so you know they always back up and let them hit slow balls and keep their stay tuned on you know being hand-eye coordination same deal with bull riding it's any sport you you know all these sports really correspond with one another oh absolutely and so Anyway, I just and every kid that comes to my bull riding school has played some of those sports. So any sport there is on the planet, I can relate to bull riding and I can help them understand what I'm talking about in the training part of it and in the foundation stuff. If you look at your stance in basketball, if you look at your stance in football, you look at your stance when you're batting or when you're when you're fielding in in baseball. It's all the same stance as riding bulls. It's exactly the same. You have your hips under you. You have your your knees bent in front of you, feet straight below your your hips, and, and your back is straight. Good posture. So I, I always that's where I really start is, is I start those guys understanding that it's just like just like playing any other sport. And so your posture's got to be the same way. And so when I do that, they'll like light bulbs come on. It's not it's not them just hanging on to a bull or being tied to one. They're understanding that they're you know, they get in the right position, they're going to, they're going to have better success or have a chance at it. So that's kind of where I start with my schools. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. You start to break down that ride into small achievable steps rather than an overwhelming one ton animal that's going to freak out on you. Right. And that's a crazy part too. You talk about, you know, your generation and the upcoming generation. And, and I mean, you guys had some pretty, pretty rank bulls back in the day with Wolfman and, and Bodacious and all that stuff. But what they've done to these animals genetically is just, it's almost scary, you know, how big and muscular and fast and athletic and yeah. quick, almost, it seems like almost everything is now. And it's, and it's exciting too, because I, I mean, I love seeing the top level. I love that. And and every guy that, you know, every guy that starts riding bulls, that, that should be his, his goal is to get to the top level. But he also needs to know that there's a stepping, you know, there's stepping stones along the way. So you don't, I see a lot of these young guys that are talented high school riders and, probably more talented than I ever, you know, I ever was. I, my boy's 20 and he, he rides better than I did when I was 20, but he's not ready for the day in, day out grind of the PBR at this point. Cause mentally, mentally, physically, and, you know, confidence is not there. And so 
you got to, you got to work your way to the top. And there, you take a guy like Jeff Lockwood, he kind of puts a little damper on my, on my theory, but at the same time, Jeff Lockwood is, is a one in a million guy. And so that's what I try to keep these guys. I, I don't ever try to dash them or anything like that, but I always, I always make them understand that there's a way to get to that point, but you don't automatically get there. I was talking to J.B. Moose today, just shooting the breeze on the phone, and he's going to go rodeo next year and try to make the NFR because that was his goal when he was a little kid. That was one of his goals, and he wants to try to do that before his career's over. But we were talking about the working your way to the top, and, and J.B., he rodeoed his butt off before he ever even got to the PBR. Yeah, and and people don't people don't know that about him. He came in, he came in and had had some early success, but he he had also been on, you know, he'd already been on a thousand bulls at amateur rodeos and jackpots and stuff. So it wasn't it wasn't like he just accidentally got there. Yeah, he, just showed up and knocking on the championship's doorstep. Yeah, so so you know, I I don't, and, and there's some guys that don't take my advice. Or there's guys, you know, I, I think honestly, most of those guys, almost every guy that doesn't do it that way leaves a little bit on the table and and i i don't care who you know you're talking jess lockwood or Keyshawn whitehorse those guys i think their maturity their maturity level doesn't get to where it's supposed to be before their body gets gets the tar beat out of them yeah and, and so it's and those those are two guys that i have those are two guys that i have some influence with that i've spent some time with and like Keyshawn's been in my bull riding school before and i've had a lot of you know, a lot of talks with him and stuff. Good kid, really good kid. I just, I kind of wished he would have went and rodeoed for a couple of years and really matured and been a been a grown man when he got to the PBR. But you know what? He's he's doing it his way, and guess what? He's going to have a good career in the PBR. My my personal thoughts is, is he he left a little on the table by not by not going. But but that's just me, and and so every guy's got to do it their way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I had Buddy Hawkins as a previous guest, and he talked about. We had a, a brief conversation about the, the strategy of a rodeo season, right? And and all those other factors that go into it as far as how you travel and where you travel and how rested you're going to be and, you know, how well you're going to eat and are you taking care of yourself and sleeping. And it goes back to all those distractions. You know, if you just go out and blindly go full tilt, uh, you're going to start burning the candle at both ends. And then really, are you going to get the best out of yourself when you're trying to achieve greatness? It, there's got to be a strategy in what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you know, my, my boy and I just sit down and we just sat down, uh, day before yesterday and we're looking at the, looking at the winter rodeos he's going to go to. And there's a couple of smaller rodeos that he's like, well, that only adds a thousand. I said, yeah, but somebody's going to win first and every $800 you win adds on, you know, I said, don't, don't skip one just because it adds, only adds a thousand. Cause there's, cause nowadays there's, there's 10,000 added. Yeah. Tons of money on the table. But you gotta, you gotta realize that. You, you're not going to win every time with those big ones. So if you go where you're kind of big fish in a small pond, you go win you a little six hundred, eight hundred dollars along the way. It it adds up, and so, so so the strategy behind what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it is is huge. It goes back to to the efficiency, right? You're going to get a little bit a little bit more long of a career. You're probably going to stay a little bit more healthy, right, throughout your career. I mean, it's bull riding; it can all go bad in the, in, in a fleeting moment, but you know, the less wear and tear you take on your body and the traveling and, and all the other side of it is just all that more effort that you can put towards a successful career. And on the other side of that, you, there's times you got to ride through some, some pain and some, uh, I mean, uh, there, there's, you got to be tough. You got to, you got to toughen through some of that stuff. But at the same time, if you use your head, 
and and you got it, your hand won't, you can't hang on to your rope. Well, go get that thing, go get it where you can hang on to it if you if you're sore or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So I see a lot of guys that kind of, I mean, there, and there's sometimes you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna have to get on being a little bit sore. I, you know, I I, I go back to Bonner Bolton is a, is a friend of mine and stuff, and he he made the PBR, you know, PBR finals that year, qualifies for the for the final. You know, he makes the short go. Well, he's he's got an injury that's one of them deals. It's not it's not a detrimental, life threatening or career threatening injury. And he chose not to get on in the short go. And the next year, you know, next year he's, he breaks his neck and and his, his career's over. So I look at that as did he miss an opportunity to get on, maybe maybe ride a bull in the short go at the PBR finals and win because he was kicking butt and and you know was it a mistake? I I don't know, but if it was me, I would that would be something that would roll over in my mind. Did I drop the ball and having a great opportunity to? And that was his last opportunity to really really do anything of significance in the bull riding world. He didn't know that at the time, but so so there's times you got to tough through some stuff. And yeah. you know his advice was, well, you might be okay. You might it's up to you. And and he chose not to. And and I I haven't even talked about. I didn't even talk to him about it because it really doesn't matter. But in my mind, I would have regretted that. You know, it's one of them deals. You got to toughen through some stuff sometimes. So that's that's what I see. Maybe maybe a lot of guys are they're pampering themselves a little more than they should. You know what I'm saying? It all comes with a balance, right? At some point, you got to step up and take some kind of risk. But that being said, you got to be you got to be intelligent in all of your decision making. And and the bottom line is, is, I mean, there's guys out there that and this this is not specific to bull riding, this is any sport or career. There's guys out there that just go full tilt and probably take more risk than they should. And then there's guys that sit back on their heels and don't do nothing, you know, but I think in order to be great, you got to find that balance towards the more proactive side of the spectrum, right? You can't go so full tilt that you're becoming a risk, but, but you're going to have to push the envelope. You're going to have to push the envelope and do, do what a lot of people aren't willing to do. Right. I mean, you can, there's a thousand guys out there that had talent, and you know, thousands of guys out there that had talent, but but didn't make the right, didn't have the right strategy in in place. And then there's and then there's a thousand guys out there that circumstances completely out of their control dictated that they make it or don't make it, you know. And so, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends that, you know, I I say rode better than I did when I was when I was early in my career and stuff, and and they didn't make it because of they had a family or they had, they had an injury that kept them back. There's a guy named Joe Levi that was a little bit, a little bit older than me, a little bit ahead of me that, that rode really extremely well. And, and, uh, he started entering with Charlie Sampson, Ted Noose, I believe. And, and, uh, he was on his way. He broke his leg real bad at Phoenix one year. And that was pretty much the end of Joe's career. He kept riding after that, but he never really. So that was something that's totally out of his, out of his hands, you know what I'm saying, and yeah. that's a guy that that's a guy that we may have we may have heard of that that never got his chance. And so, I mean, I I I take the fact that I didn't have any injuries that cost me a career. I, I count that as a blessing because there's so many guys I can name a bunch of guys along the way that I know that were destined for greatness in their career that something like that took them took them back and their their career didn't go where they wanted it to. So. You know, there's there's so many factors that out there, but you gotta you gotta keep it all in perspective and keep a strategy going. In my opinion, absolutely, there's got to be a plan behind all of it. And and speaking of plans, you know, I tell people when 
when faced with un- uncertainty or un- unfavorable circumstances, right? Life's going to happen and, and your perspective on how you react to whatever's happening often dictates the result more than the actual incident itself. Yeah. That's where compartmentalizing things is, is really important in my mind that you got to, you got to put everything out when it, when it's time to compete in whatever sport you're, you're taking on. That's all that, that's all that can matter at that moment. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's got to be. Oh, absolutely. And, and so I've been there. I've been where, I mean, I put a video or I put a picture the other day of me on Red Wolf at, at, uh, Red Bluff, California. And that's the bullet stepped on Brent Thurman and, and eventually took, you know, Brent's life. And that was in 94. Well, I had him in April of 95. Well, from the, from the moment that I called Procom to find out what bull I had and found out that I had Red Wolf. I mean, I, he, he had my goat from the start. I, I should have stayed home because I, there was no chance of me riding that bull. Cause I, cause in my mind, I was thinking about Brent instead of thinking about riding bulls. Yeah. Flat, you know, fast forward to 19, 19- 89 or 1998 at the PBR finals and I made the short go and the draw comes out. I've got Red Wolf. Well, Brent's accident never crossed my mind. I was focused on riding bull and that turned out to be, you know, my, one of my top five rides in my whole career. Yeah. And it goes, it goes back to the point you made earlier, right? As far as, you know, the mental maturity of, of going down the road and and putting a little experience under your belt, you know? Yeah. And that, and, and Brent's, Brent's accident was fresh on my mind. Brent was a great friend of mine, and and I'd I'd been struggling with some injuries over you know ninety ninety three and ninety four were were tough years on me. And so anyway, right after you know ninety five was right after Brent got hurt. So physically, I wasn't you know just everything kind of kind of came to a head, and and there was no way I was going to ride that bull. Uh, I mean, I <laughs> there I should have stayed home, yeah. like I said. Yeah. But then nineteen ninety eight, I had. I was healthy. I was riding good. I was, things were going good, chucking and jiving. My brain was in the right, right frame of mind. And I got on that bull with no thought of bad stuff. Everything was good stuff. Yeah. And so the, so, so everybody goes through it as that, as an athlete, you're going to go through good times and bad times, but it's always coming back to that place of, of knowing who you are and knowing what your preparation has, has allowed you to do, you know? And so, that that's what I that's what I really really promote is is preparation, being prepared when you get there, and that that takes getting on practice bulls, that takes studying videos, that takes working out, feeling good about yourself, having having strength, and you know eating right and all that stuff. And and I wish looking back on it, I wish I'd had a little more a little more of that along the way because I you know early in my career I just drinking beer and chasing girls and spending money and not you know I yeah, didn't have fast life. I didn't have a good plan. I was just I was just out doing what I did and I didn't really have a, a strategy until I guess probably right before I got married, I kind of had my stuff together in my mind and my brain and stuff. So, so if I can, if I can help these guys at, at an early age, being 18, 17, 18, 20 years old, whatever, have a strategy and, and have their mind on what they're, what they're doing and why they're doing it and not just going haphazardly into, into a career or, probably not a career, but into, into bull riding without knowing why they're doing what they're doing. And I ask a lot of these young guys, what's your plan? Well, they look at you like, yeah, my plan is to cover this bull right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but so, so you gotta, you gotta have a little strategy and you can't just follow your buddy around because he rides good. You gotta, you gotta be the leader. You gotta kind of take the lead and get, 
you know, I, I see a lot of guys just follow their buddies around because they ride good and they're, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. And so anyway, that's kind of what I tried, try to help these guys with. And looking back in my baseball career, you know, I had the fortune of, of training under a lot of great athletes. However, the lion's share of great athletes do not choose to make that reinvestment in the up-and-coming generations. What for you kind of drives you or compels you to to give back and really really reinvest in the up-and-coming generation of bull riders? Well, to to start, I I got guys I got guys in my in my life that that mentored me, which that you know of course my dad was my dad was big in my life because he never said never he didn't he didn't ride bulls very good and he didn't you know he just he never had really a a goal in rodeo he rode bulls a little bit and got hurt before before i was even born so he quit riding bulls but you know he had that rodeo arena and he'd get out there and help me getting on those steers and so he was dedicated to to my success and and so seeing seeing kind of how my dad did did me and how he treated me was part of it and then and then you got guys that that are you look up to like denny flynn's a guy that was a hero of mine and and what denny did for me is he he treated me like i belonged you know and and i think i think that's a huge deal because there's so many there's so many of these older guys or guys that go ahead of it the kids and stuff that treat them like they're second class citizens or whatever yeah what I want to try to do is I want to I want to build them up. Now that's not to say I'm going to coddle them and tell them everything's all right. Sometimes I'm going to get in their ass a little bit and tell them, you know, you you look like you want to be, you know, playing <laughs> playing checkers or something. Yeah. You? you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so because they need some of that too. Because I, I I think that part of my success was being held accountable by the guys that are around me. And I grew I grew up around, you know, I started rodeoing. There's Lane Frost and Tough Edelman and. I don't know all these guys, Bobby Delvecchio, all them guys. They held they held you accountable. If you if you didn't put out the effort, you were told about it. And I see a lot of times that there's guys that don't put out the effort, and their buddies pat them on the back, tell them everything's okay when they need to tell them, hey, why don't you why don't you suck it up and yeah, you need try to, to step up a little bit. It, and I'm not saying that 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 went on in my era too, because there was always some guys around that tried to make you feel good about it when you fell off. And I think I got less from those guys. Than I did from the guys that were saying, "Hey, you were half-hearted. Why don't you, you know, why don't you try a little bit?" Because the times that I had somebody, somebody say something like that to me, it it meant something to me. It it wasn't. I didn't take it as a, an offensive deal, and I might have thought the guy was a jerk or whatever, but he was not wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, so that that's it, this this sport is it's an individual sport, but at the same time, if you if you can surround yourself with some guys that will help you. 19, 1992, the year I won the world, Jerome Davis was a rookie, and and Jerome got in the truck with me and David Fournier and a little guy named Myron Dewart, which ended up who ended up making the final several times. But but our little crew, we watched each other at the rodeo, and then on the way to the next one in the truck, we were talking about it, and we were we were talking about each other's rides, and we we made it a point to watch one another, and and really talk about things, and I think that was. You know, David is a guy that had as much knowledge of, of of bull riding as anybody I've ever been around, and his his input in my bull riding career helped me a lot. And then being around a young guy like Jerome, who was really really talented, and just happy to you know he's so excited to be there all the time, and watching him ride some bulls that were incredible. At you know, as a kid, he was just he was bad to the bone, and it was cool to watch 
a young guy like that, his enthusiasm kind of helped me too. So you surround yourself with guys that are winners. It's going to, it's going to rub off on you and it's going to, everybody's going to get better in the rig. No, I think uh, as you were starting to describe your story on it, the, the accountability was the first thing that came to mind to me. And, and it's true, right? Not, in, you don't pat your buddy on the back every time, right? Sometimes you got to kick him, kick him in the pants, but. Exactly. It's, again, it goes back to balance, right? You don't want to, you don't want to be so overbearing that you drive a guy into the dirt, but you can't just sit there and, and think that everything's rainbows and unicorns all the time, right? Sometimes there's work to be done exactly. and, and sometimes you slip up, right? And, and that's part of it. But if right. you truly have that championship mentality or you truly have that level of work ethic, then I think we all kind of got a chip on our shoulder somewhat and, and we don't like being told what to do, but sometimes that's what you need, right? Let's tell you that, hey, you're you're falling short here. You need to step it up here. You need to try a little bit harder. It's part of doing yeah. what not everybody else can do. Yeah, and that's, and so that's why I, I really try to encourage these guys. And sometimes sometimes encouragement, you know, everybody, everybody's a little bit different in how they're uh, motivated, but sometimes encouragement is, is, hey, you're not working hard enough. You're half-hearted. You need to get your crap together and start, you know, reevaluate this thing because and and some pe- some guys it'll help that will help and some guys that that'll bash them they'll, yeah they'll shut they'll down think, they'll think you're they'll think you're being mean to them but for me if i have people around me that tell me hey dipstick get your head out of your butt i'm better off than guys telling me oh it's okay you you know get them next time be better tomorrow yeah and so that's why i tell my son i'm like hey if you're if you're in the guys you're in the truck with are coddling you and and making trying to make you feel good about falling off, get out and get in with somebody that's gonna, you know, fire gonna you. slap you in the back of the head and say, "Hey, dude, that wasn't that wasn't what it's supposed to be or whatever." And so, I don't know that it, it's there's a lot to this thing in, in the in the simplicity if you if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. It, it can be. It, it's always got to stay simple, but but there's a lot that weighs into it because you might be riding with a cracked ribs or you might be you know or you might be you might be on the top and the biggest thing what i tell my son brett every time every time i talk to him every time we talk about something i i, I say look when you're driving away from that rodeo everything's in the rearview mirror leave it in the rearview mirror and go forward it no matter if you if you're winning don't get cocky and keep your eyes on behind you go forward if you if you got bucked off go forward don't let it don't let it tag along with you you might be mad and let it evaluate it a little bit, but then leave it behind and go on. Yeah, you take your lessons learned and you move on. It's hard. It's hard to have that short term memory, but really, what what matters? I remember my dad told me growing up that the next pitch is the most important one. Yep, that's exactly right. I'll I'll say I'll tell you this. I I was around Lane enough, you know, that he he kind of weighed into my into my thinking and stuff. But the one thing I remember, the the one thing that I really remember about Lane is he said he said. If you get bucked off, he said, be mad about it, but don't show it in the arena. Don't throw a fit in the arena. Go back behind the chutes and, and, and have your, have it, you know, have it out with yourself and then forget it. Yeah. And that, that so I think that that's the one thing I remember that Wayne really told me that stuck with me. It's what makes a professional because if you think about it, you throw that tantrum in the arena and all those competitors coming up behind you, they know they got you, right? Yeah. They know it affected you. They know that mentally you're checked out. And maybe, hey, maybe I just poke the bear next time I see it at the next rodeo about that ride. Yeah. You know, but you do it behind closed doors, per se, and nobody knows how you're affected by it at all. They just think, hey, he got tossed and he's going to jump up on the next one. And I can't say I haven't thrown a fit. Oh, I've thrown plenty. In front of everybody. <laughs> I've I mean, thrown everybody, plenty. Everybody, 
But I mean, if you're competitive, you're going to have a little bit of that. But but my my point is is just is get it over with. Figure you know you can be you can be mad. You should be mad if you make a mistake. But don't hold on to it and don't let it go to the next rodeo with you. You just go on and and so that that's a I think that having a having a bad memory is a good thing. You know. Yeah. Speaking of memories, what in, in the length of your career, what was one of your most memorable rides for you and why? Well, I, I always go back to the Bull Riders only in 1992. I got on a bull called High Fives that was a Mr. T son. And there was four of us that made it to the final round, and we all got bucked off in the in the top four. And and their format, there was they didn't they didn't have anything laid out for if that happened. And so they got all four of us together, and they said, "Hey, we can go back to the guy that won the last go round, which was me, or we can go everybody get on another bull." Well, that's Three against one. I mean, I'm gonna. Yeah, we're getting on another bull. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I looked at everybody. And I said, well, you know what my vote is. I guess I better go rosin my rope, and I went yep. and rosin my. Rope. And and so when I when I went out there, they had us go out and draw draw a bull out of the hat. You know, which I don't even know. I didn't even know what bulls were left in there. And so so when I reached in the hat, I I thought in my mind I was mad because I fell off of the actually was the bull of the year that year that Dan Russell owned and. And I just fell off of him. He was a pretty, pretty nice bull, and I was supposed to ride him. And so I was mad at myself, and I reached in that hat, and I thought, I, I hope I pulled a bucket and a son of a gun on the planet out of there. And when I reached in and pulled high fives out, I knew I, I knew I had the best bull on the planet, you know. And so I got on him with, I got on him with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from falling off that first one. And anyway, I, I ended up being ninety five and a half, and that, that was, that was my. Or I might have been just 95, but anyway, whatever it was, it, to me, it was my the best ride in my mind that I ever made. So it's incredible. That's it with me. Absolutely incredible. So we're wrapping up. We're getting close to the end here, and and as things come to a close, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of sell themselves and and explain where people can find you. Whether you're active on social media, you have a website. I know you mentioned you got a lot of clinics coming up and stuff. Where can people find the schedules for those clinics? Well, I just I, I'm on I'm on Facebook and I'm. Instagram is Cody.Custer.92, I think is the is is my Instagram. But you you can go either one of them. And I, I do have a website that's not I haven't really updated the website, just CodyCuster.com. But anyway, I, I do clinics and and that's my heart is to help the next generation and so hopefully I'll be close to somebody that's wanting to learn how to ride bulls or or they'll travel a little ways to get to me but um, I'm, I'm not really a good salesman on, you know, I mean, I, I've helped a lot of guys that, that are, that have had success in the, in the bull riding world. And, and, uh, that's what I do. Not really going to drop any names cause that, that's not my style, but. Well, and the bottom line is your resume speaks for itself. I don't think we need to sell yeah. anything about Cody Custer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, the thing is like, I'm, I'm learning a little bit more about how to teach guys and, and have the right terminology that makes them understand what I'm trying to say. And and basically what I teach is what, what got me a world title. Yeah. I, I don't I come up with anything that's that's out of that realm. I just I just teach the basic fundamentals of riding bulls and and so simplicity is is probably my uh my mentality. No, it's it's a great approach. And and in closing, do you have any life lessons or, or mottos that you live by or, or anything that you would like to pass along to guests? Well uh, here's what I would say. No matter where you're at in life, if you're having great success or you're having a lot of problems, I've seen both sides of that. Just just remain true to being 
a people person because people in your lives are not an accident and they, they really matter. And whether it's you helping them or them helping you, they're there for a reason. And so that, that's what I've understood is that people really, really mean something. And you really, really mean something to people if you keep that perspective. That, that's just my heart to let people know they matter. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, Cody, I, I definitely want to thank you again very much for your time, especially this early in the morning for us and, and uh, being that we're this close to the holiday season. Hopefully, we'll look forward to some future talks with you. And, and, and again, we Heck thank yeah. you dearly. Yeah. Yep, I'll be, uh, I'll be up for that. So thanks for having me on the show, buddy. All righty, sir. You have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.